Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Comic Sans the Podcast, the show about comic book perspectives that have been left in the gutters. I'm Ayana. And I'm Josh. Welcome to episode three, everyone. First of all, I, you know, Ayana and I both wish you know, you're safe and in quarantine and being responsible um, and not risking your lives and other people's lives in danger as the coronavirus gets gradually and gradually worse. Unfortunately, in the United States right now, almost daily, we're breaking new records. We have literally a thousand people dying every day. And I know that it's the holidays. We're very tired of this. We've been in quarantine for almost more than eight months. But just hold on there, people. You know, we want to escape. So let's escape to the fantastical realm of the Middle Earth or Gotham or where have you, but not right now, at least, to the real world. And Ayana, you said that you actually had a very unfortunate experience with that today. Yeah, I'm going to need you all to stay in the house until you know how to act. I went to the village today. <sighs> and this was such a USC experience. I went to go study for my finals and I sat at a table and I had six different people try and sit at the table with me, sit and eat at the table with me. And then when I told them to move, they all had an attitude and they all asked me why. Have y'all heard of the coronavirus? Maybe it's me. Because people are acting like it's cured. People are acting like it's gone away and that I'm crazy for wanting you out of my space. You know what six feet is. And you know that what you were, you know that you're too close to me. What makes you think to do that? Because even when it's not a pandemic, you ask before you sit at the same table as someone else. It's beyond disrespectful. And then to have an attitude when I very rationally ask you to remove yourself from me when the coronavirus is disproportionately killing black people it's like the entitlement makes me sick to my stomach i don't know what's wrong with you people but you need to get it together now and i don't know what it is about usc that like attracts these ridiculous disgusting people but it needs to end well first of all people like as Ayana said, you know what six feet is. Like, you know, I'm sure, I have no doubt that they probably went out and go to restaurants and go to places as if nothing happened. And even there, you have to, each table is six feet apart. And absolutely not, under no circumstances, will they allow, you know, guests to join a table. Are you kidding me? What makes you want to sit with a stranger? Especially now, like it's life threatening. Like it's so they're so numb to it. I can only expect that from a certain person with no empathy. They're like, I'm just, I want to sit here. I don't care if this person could literally, I could potentially risk their lives, but I want to sit here, and they want to protect their own life. How dare they? That is ridiculous, people. That is ridiculous. We are all frustrated, we are all annoyed, we all want to do shit, but don't kill people for the expense of it, please. And you know what the dumbest thing is? If we could just be a little more responsible, if we just be a little more patient, like, I'm from Korea, and like, Korea is relatively doing a good job. By no means is it perfect, but certainly it's doing better than here. And we can go out to eat in restaurants, we can go out to do things, 
wearing a mask and being social but like we can still do things in a much more normal way than we're doing here in America because people were responsible. We were like, all right, let's hold it off for a little bit so that we can actually do things later on. So Americans are so selfish and our government does not care if we live or die. Those are the reasons why shit is so different in this country than in other places. And even when Joe Biden becomes president, I don't know how much is going to change because all he can do is ask people to put on their mask. The state governors don't have to listen to him because that's what America is all about. The fact that you don't like this country still doesn't have a national mandate or a national clear national strategy how to deal with this pandemic is insane to me. Like pretty much it's like each state go and fend for yourself. Are you kidding? As thousands of people die, millions more contracted? It's mind-boggling. It's terrifying. I mean, we're now, I think we're now right now so accustomed to it. We get numb to it, which I understand. But like, can you just imagine for a second if, let's just say, even just last year, if someone told me that thousand Americans are going to die every day, I'd be horrified, right? I'd be like, are we in a war? Is America undergoing a civil unrest? Is America having... A, you know, a war on its own land. But no, it's because people prefer to wear his mask and want to ha- wanted to go out and party. That's what's killing. I mean, not all of it, but like that is a big contributing factor. And it's just so like tragically normalized. So me and you, Josh, are in a different reality from a lot of other people in the United States. Because the fact that that even happened to me today, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. I fucking hate it here. I don't blame you. I, I, it's, I love this country a lot, and then, and there are certain a lot of things about this country that I genuinely love. But moments like these, and I'm like, Americans, get a grip of yourself, please. That's so crazy. I'm trying to leave the United States as soon as I can. <laughs> While I'm trying to stay. Um. Oh, 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 the irony. Oh, the irony. I don't blame you. I really don't. Do you have a plan of where? Looking at... Here's... Fuck USC again. I had a meeting with a career advisor, and she said, it's too early for you to start looking for jobs. You're that a was her senior. advice to me. That was her advice to me. She said, it's too early. You should wait until April. So I'm going to email the person in charge of career development and be like, this woman is worse than useless. Because that is absurd. And I think it was racist. I really think it was racist. And I'm going to talk to other people who I know have spoken to career advisors and see what they've been told. Because I, why would you say that? She didn't even ask me what my major was. She didn't ask me what kind of jobs I was looking for. She literally said, you're starting too early. Hold on. So she didn't even ask you the most basic questions. Yeah. She took a look at you and then said, oh, this is too early for yeah so fuck her but just to put that into perspective i have other friends who are like setting up informational interviews with like people in the industry but it's too early for me to start looking for a job ridiculous it's ridiculous like that i'm I'm just dumb what is a what you're a senior of course 
why? Like, none of what she says makes any sense. You're right. Makes Like, Earl, excuse me, you think we're looking at a robust job market where jobs are just floating everywhere and we can just like, oh, you know, casually look for a job one month away from graduation? And she forgot about the meeting. I had to email her about it. So this woman just fucking up every which way. And I will be talking to her manager. Oh, that is a refreshing level of pure incompetence. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. Don't know how to make this fun or better. But um, I guess we can move on. I could roast USC some more. We let's yeah let's do that. The fact that the past no past deadline will not be extended is the dumbest thing I've heard in my life, and the reasoning behind it is insulting to every single student here. They said that they would like to preserve the integrity of our degree. So they won't be extending the past and past deadlines after finals like they did last semester. Tell me a single thing that USC has done that has had any ounce of integrity. This university does not have integrity. And for them to pretend like they do, it would be funny if it wasn't so fucking sad. And if it didn't come at the cost of the mental health of your students. I think we can all agree by this point that USC actually lives in an alternative academic reality where every student is spruced up and not depressed and not fucking terrified about everything that's happened. This is default. Default that is the norm. And they expect, excuse me? Like, do you have the gumption to bring out academic integrity? To pe- you should be grateful that none of us didn't, we didn't take a collective LOA and just, just leave this campus, this university and saying, we're going to come back until you provide the education that's worth our tuition worth. When you're still raising it. See, uh, we need to organize a tuition strike because that is the only way that they're going to pay attention. How dare they tell that academic integrity to people who are robbed of their classes an education that they were promised and did not deliver usc has been scamming people all year it's disgusting it's disgusting and by the way you think that somehow by taking reason (laughs) i'm sorry that the integrity of our degree will be lowered. The only thing that's going to lower the integrity and the worth of our degree is the shit you're doing, have been doing, by the way, consistently. You have tarnished your reputation to the ground with your incompetence, your amorality. Yeah, they think we're stupid. Your performative bullshit. It's beyond insulting. But they want to talk to us about integrity. But look at your past. We don't even have to look at the past four years. We can look at earlier this semester. Oh, yeah. Y'all are disgusting. It makes me sick. It does. It, like, I think I genuinely think this is their attitude. They're like, oh, UC students are getting lazy. So, like, we should, like, push them because, like, they're just lounging in their houses and they're, like, relaxing. What's the big deal? They're not commuting. I genuinely think this is the attitude that they're having. If not, I see no reason why... After spring, and I was like, okay, they're fucking with us. They, they genuinely have no care. And they create something called wellness days. I'm going to throw up. Wellness day? That is such, like, perfor- like, 
I'm taking care of your wellness. Let's be my. You can shove that up your rectum and puke it out with your mouth. I don't care about wellness days. I want legitimate breaks. They're not going to work. Professors are going to assign work on the wellness days because they don't care. I was going to say USC thinks that their professors are um, competent or like caring, but I think USC just doesn't give a shit. But yeah, your professors have not been teaching. No. Heads up, y'all. So we both are students at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, which is a very practicum-heavy class. Especially the journalism side, it's very practicum-heavy. Like, a lot of, like, the most valuable experience in journalism comes from hands-on experiences, projects, things like that. Like, obviously, we understand that you can't offer them right now that because it's a pandemic. I get that we can't go out to the field and report. But... If anything, we're being accommodating to understand that, you know what, we understand that we, we're not getting the full worth of our journalism education. We understand that. And yet, and yet, you're like, y'all are being lazy. The brass balls, very probably wrinkly old white balls that are low hanging. But um, what? It's Take a look at the USC administration. Um, I, I, I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm speechless. That was funny as fuck. <laughs> just outrage. I I wish, but I I wish I could be more angry. If not the fact that I'm just sad. I'm furious. I could not tell anyone to come to this university, especially if you're not white, especially if you're black. Do not come here. People who think USC is like good, read something, talk to someone. Look at things that aren't, like, from USC's public relations office. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. As soon as we graduate, the day after we graduate, they're going to email us and ask for a donation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all about the Trojan connections. And it's it doesn't make sense because I am never going to forget the fact that this university watched their thousands of students suffer and didn't do anything about it. Don't you think that's going to have some type of consequence to your brand, to your institution? They're literally robbing students right now. And here's the thing. What they're asking of students right now, they would never be able to do themselves. No, you see, you you, you expect the administration to have something called empathy. They don't. I genuinely don't think they have empathy. Like, literally every single thing they're doing is, how do we better our brand? That was super cathartic. I guess we should get to, like, the actual, (laughs) the comic part of the episode. So today's episode is about Over the Garden Wall. Woohoo! It's, like, Halloween fall themed. Josh, how did you hear about this little miniseries? So I first saw it during a club meeting, and it was around Halloween, and uh, we were like, we should, you know, you know how it was, you know, you sit around a couch and then you have chips and whatnot and they're like we should watch something and someone's like we should watch the garden wall and i've never heard of it watching it was just i it was fantastic it was so i say this genuinely it felt quaint it felt like something like there was almost something something childish and childlike in me that was reacting to the show like i was like you know a six or seven year old watching this wonderful tale that's being unfolded Yeah, this is one of my favorite things ever, like in general. I've seen this hundreds of times. It's incredible. It's like nothing I've ever seen before or since. So to give, well, first of all, spoilers. There's no way to talk about this without spoiling it. 
Over the garden wall is about two brothers who they wake up and they are lost in the woods. And over the course of this miniseries, they're just trying to get back home. And it's a super cool concept because it takes inspiration from like so many different places. And it's really cool, like Grimm's fairy tales and also like different eras of the United States. And actually, um, for the recording of this episode, I rewatched it this morning. Actually, that's another great thing. This entire thing is only so each episode is about ten minutes, um, so it's very bingeable. Like literally, just spend like I did one morning, one afternoon, and just watch it and just fall in love with it. And uh, I realized how closely, like Spirited Away, is one of my favorite movies, and it borrows a lot of it in a really good way. There are motifs. It's even the premise is kind of similar. Not that like I'm saying that one is you know uh, you know a version of the other, but like I don't know why. Like because so the story is about these two brothers going on a journey on a separate realm. So these two brothers are actually hmm, spoiler. They're actually from the real world, the one that we're living in now, and the world they're traveling through is a bizarre and wonderful world of skeletons with pumpkins with sentient frogs there's a few witches there are a few witches um there's a talking bluebird that's like in i would say like late 19th early century america kind of you know like like steamboats and like uh, corsets and a lot of you know john paul Sousa music a lot of marching band music actually um and like that's like that whole transform it's like very immersive from the get-go and i can just say that the world building much like any Ghibli film, is fantastic. Like, each character, each thing that you see is done with such joy and sincerity and nostalgia. One of my, uh, you know, favorite episodes, for example, was this thing where they traveled to a town where basically the skeletons are, they, you know, they wake up and they put on pumpkins and they become alive again. And, like, I paused for a second, and I looked at all the characters, and they were different, but also they were drawn, like, they were almost, like, you could clearly, just by the costume and the way they were dressed, like, oh, you could see, like, oh, this is, for example, like, a Union soldier in the Civil War, or this character looks like a mogul, or this character looks like, you know, they drive a steamboat. Like, every single thing is period perfect and done with joy and care. And, but it's so seamless because ultimately the series is very light. I'm going to disagree with you. I agree that this is something that benefits from multiple watches because you're going to catch something different every time. But I think this series is super dark. Oh, yes, yes, I agree. And overwhelmingly creepy. And it makes me feel unsettled like in my body when I watch it. Really? Mm-hmm. So even when the, the, the peaceful scenes, you're like, oh, this is something's not right. This is a little eerie. Yeah, even the cute parts. Oh. Because spoilers, these children are half dead. <laughs> the are. woods are like purgatory. So even the cute parts, it's still a few ghosts, almost dead kids trying to become alive. Yeah, no, I agree. I think lightness in the sense of it's like there's a cheeriness to the show. There's an upbeatness. Oh, there's definitely a hopefulness. There is, there is. Um, especially with, like, Greg. Like, you cannot... Like, there's just certain things he says so silly. It literally reminds me of, like, I have... I have cousins 
who talk exactly like her. And it's like, yeah, it's like, that's great. And I think that's one of the things that's very particularly good about this series is that I think a lot of quote unquote tele- like animated children's shows portray this picture perfect reality that's always shiny, that are always great, there are no harm. But I think, at least for me, the more memorable things and the really formative stories that I grew up reading are the ones that are based in nuanced, complex, ultimately weird worlds, because the world is weird. And I guess the I think the best way for a children's anything to portray the complexity of life is through quirkiness and weirdness. Because it kind of it's a good segue into the complexities of life and the darkness that it, it kind of explores. I absolutely agree. Even the source material that's based on is dark. It's kind of based on witchcraft. Like there is an entire um, you know, the Gothic era, there are kind of black magic elements from the bayou, from the American South, that are like very dark, very macabre. Um, I think that's how you say it, right? Like, I think so. Yeah. Um <laughs> That it's all there. It's all there. And like in the best possible way, I'd have enjoyed this if this was kind of written in a novel. Like written by Leslie Neal Gaiman. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> it is very different. And one of my one of my favorite characters is Beatrice. And she is really funny in a way that most cartoon characters aren't allowed to be. Like she's sort of mean. Um, and it's really funny. <laughs> it's really subversive because like the typical you know, animal companion is like, first of all, they usually don't have agency, they don't talk. And if they do, they're like sidekick or they're for relief. But no, this one's like... She tells people to die. She's like, I'm going to dance on your grave. Like, <laughs> she's intense. and But she has this like wonderful deadpan delivery. <laughs> and it's funny, but you're like, okay, why would you say that to a child? <laughs> yeah. But they did. But they did. But they do. They did and they do. Like, I think we often underestimate how children can understand nuance and children can actually perfectly actually decipher messages and emotions. Yeah, let's stop treating kids like they're stupid because they're definitely more, um, they pick up on more than adults pretend that they do. Something else that I like, this entire show is constantly subverting your expectations. To the point where that is like a theme, like the theme of the show, essentially, is that nothing is as it appears to be. First, you open the show and it's Greg and Wirt. Those are the two main characters just walking in the woods. And you think they're just in the woods, but they're not. In, they're not in the woods. They're in purgatory. So that's one subversion. There's a different subversion in every episode. Um, in one of my favorite, ep- I love all of it, but one of my favorite episodes, there's... Beatrice talks to a horse and the horse never responds. And then at the end of the episode, you find out that the horse could talk the whole time. (laughs) It was just messing with her. (laughs) And then in the next episode, Beatrice is trying to convince the children to steal. And Wirt turns to the horse and he's like, this is crazy. And the horse is like, I want to (laughs) steal. So it's just stuff like that. I just think it's really cool and really realistic to how nothing is as it seems in the real world. And I think it's like particularly like the art style is beautiful, but like almost when you first see it, you kind of think that, oh, this is going to be like 
it like it's it's like kind of drawn in watercolor it's like it's it's you know a lot of beigeness it's like it kind of reminds me of like i guess like kind of classic cartoons but then there are moments like that you're like whoa hold on so much care was put into this show it's like this lovely package like very neatly wrapped parcel i would say in parchments and it's just a thing of wonder it's like yeah do you have a favorite character i recently rewatched and i think it's probably um auntie whisper Ooh, i also love auntie whispers and that particular episode gave me very strong spirit away vibes but like again all about the subversion is because there's this one episode where they go to an abandoned house and they see this, you know, really pretty girl cleaning up the house. And, like, it's immediately, you're like, it, it gives us um, Rapunzel. You know, it's, it's similar to Rapunzel, right? Cinderella. Basically, Cinderella. I think Cinderella, too. Yeah, basically an abusive, controlling mother or and or figure who is controlling this, this woman from, you know, going out to the outside world. And you that's, you know, your immediate thought on what's going to unfold. So, like, oh, they should probably, they're running away from a threat. And there, sure enough, is a threat who, like, and, you know, like, the typical old hag, evil witch figure who comes, like, I can smell the children. Where are they? I'm going to find them. But first of all, it turns out she's not looking for the children. Um, well, kind of, but she was just eating a turtle. And the girl, you know, hides Greg and Wart. But turns out, actually, the girl is the one who is cursed. And actually... Quite rightfully, the grandma auntie was trying to find a cure for her and protect other people from her. And so Greg and Ward actually saves her. They, I think, drive with the evil spirit within her, I think. And you would expect, you know, her to leave the auntie or something. But no, they rekindle and they live kind of in a happily ever after, ultimately. And that episode, like, gave me... If you've seen Spirited Away, the main... Actually, the antagonists look very similar. Like, they're both... They, I think they both fly, but they were wearing, like, black robes. They're old women... And actually, in Spirit Away, there is a, a twin of Yubaba, who is the main kind of evil character, who is actually, who looks identical to her, but much nicer. And actually, you know, the main character seek help from her. So I think that it was very similar. And I really liked that, actually. Studio Ghibli has a lot of sons. Also, Auntie Whispers is voiced by Tim Curry. Yeah! Uh, I love Tim Curry. Tim Curry is fantastic. He's like... Yeah, he's great. If y'all don't know who Tim Curry is, he is this... You've probably definitely seen his face. It's definitely one of those people that you've seen him or heard him, but if don't know Murph's face. Just throw it into Google. You definitely know who this man is. You de- you've seen something. <laughs> you've heard his voice, for sure. For sure. Rocky Horror Picture Show, Home Alone 2, the original Pennywise. Mm-hmm. Like, he... Red Alert 3, for some bizarre reason. Um... He's everywhere. He's great. And he actually is a fantastic voice actor, clearly. And I completely forgot. I forgot that that you know, Whispers was voiced by Tim Curry. And I watched this the, the credits. Like, Tim Curry voiced this? The voice acting in this show is amazing. It really is. My favorite voice talent is John Cleese because I'm very partial to John Cleese. And you can hear it's John Cleese. But I like that. Let's get into... The music. Mm. I love the music in this. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. All of the songs are in different styles. Like each episode kind of has a different theme or like a slightly different era of the United States. And the songs in that episode are like of that era. And it's super cool. So my favorite song is probably Langtree's Lament, which is about... 
A school teacher sings it about her fiance who has gone missing and she sings it to her students like in class and it's it's weird. They're like, oh, this lady is crazy. But she's like singing about her heartbreak and it's in like the theme of like nursery rhymes. Like it sounds like a nursery rhyme and it's super cool. And they only play a few seconds of it in the show, but after the show ended, I looked, I typed it into Google and there's a full version. And it's lit. Is it? Mm-hmm. G is for the gentleman I thought he was When he first said hi, H-I J is for the joker, that is Jimmy B The man who made me cry, that's a C And K so That's the thing, though, because all the songs are, like, written so well But they're so short Because it's almost like they're And this is what I mean, it kind of harkens back to the era of, like, the Old classic era of animation Because, like, there are certain parts that almost, like, sounds like a musical like, and then Langtree's Lament is definitely one of them. Um, and the Potatoes and Molasses is kind of in that as well. Storm and soft like puppies and socks Filled with cream and candy rocks Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's, uh, and it kind of, I mean, this is, like, kind of haunting. All the music is kind of haunting. Yeah, because the show is scary. It is. And the music kind of has a a delicate scariness to it. And it's all in, it's in all of the songs. It's definitely a little off, all of them. It is. And you know what it is? Like, even if the episode ends in a really cheery, heartfelt note, the credit music is very unsettling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like the credit music. <laughs> it sounds like an off-key piano almost. Yeah, it is an off-key piano. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? It sounds like I'm in a haunted saloon. It's like taking you through the story and that's like the intermission music almost. Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Oh, wait. And then, you know, it the show opens with a frog playing piano. I believe, this is my theory, this entire miniseries is the frog telling the story. <sighs> and so that piano is like him, like taking a break, whatever, and then he comes back in with the next episode. <sighs> So yeah, it's bookended by this frog playing piano. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Our long bygone burdens, mere echoes of the spring. But where have we come? And like also, um, there's the episode where the frog, the same frog, actually sings a song called Over the Garden Walls, mm-hmm. which is very meta. The frog only sings. Yeah. And the frog actually never talks. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that the frog's aware. Mm-hmm. oh that's an awesome i never thought about it that way that would make sense do you think it's real what do you mean do you think what Wirt and greg went through do you think it actually happened oh or did the frog just make it all up it doesn't matter you're right in a sense it's as fantastical and ludicrous but that doesn't make it any less real I think that's kind of the point of these things. It's like, I'm going to quote Desuka Usamu, who's like the godfather of manga. He drew Astro Boy, he drew Blackjack. He made pretty much manga and anime a thing. And he actually said to force rationality, to force clear-cut closures, is the fascism of adulthood. Wow. The children should dwell in this gray zone of creativity and fantastical reality. And that's where great stories come in. That's where a person grows up to be a more interesting, nuanced, and empathetic person. 
instead of this is real, this is fake. And I think this show exactly lies on that grayness about weirdness. And that's what that's why it's so uneasy because it's grounded in such nuanced reality, but it's based on a fantastical realm. Let's say more good things before we get to my critiques. Ooh. <laughs> and there are, there rightfully are. Can I just say also that I appreciate Greg and Ward are not written to be like these, like they're not written as like Dora the Explorer. Not that they would ever be, but like there are fundamental unlikable things about these characters and redeeming yeah. qualities. The first few times I watched this, I hated Wirt because when the show premiered, me and Wirt were like supposed to be the same age and he's very mean to his younger brother. And I think it is inexcusable. But that's kind of the lesson that he learns throughout the series is to like be less selfish and to be more responsible, specifically about his younger brother. But yeah, I was like, this kid is the worst. He's not looking, his brother is little, like six or seven, this kid, and he's just not looking out for him. And it made me furious. Um, But yeah, now that I'm older, I'm much more forgiving. (laughs) Same, except when I saw Wart, there were definitely phases in my life where it was like Wart. I was an awkward, shy art kid. I was, of course, full of myself, and I shut down others at the expense of myself. Super relatable, the fact that he's just randomly saying poetry. <laughs> oh, yeah. And played the clarinet. Um, that's a little personal. <laughs> I think, actually, that's, like, in a way, it's all about the redeeming quality this person goes to. It's not only about going home. It's about why are you going home for? There's no point if you're just going home and you're the same person. Coming-of-age story. Exactly, exactly. And that, like... I've heard actual theories that this is actually allegorical of Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, then your theory makes more sense. The Frog's Virgil. Because he is a silent poet, he is the guidance. <gasps> that would make sense. That would make sense. Yep. This show is so interesting, and there are so many theories about it because it calls for that kind of interpretation. Right, right. Like, it's definitely one of those shows that, like, when you watch it again, you're like, oh, there was this thing I didn't catch up. Oh, wait, what? There are definitely those moments that are peppered throughout, which is great. You would think that for a short show, there would be kind of a well, one-time experience, but no, it is just so quaint that you always, it's like an old record that you always play and you hear something new about it every single time. It's like one of my comfort shows. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I could see that. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Let's talk about my favorite episode babes in the wood it's my favorite episode so in this episode um Wirt and greg are down bad <laughs> they're like about to die for real and greg the littlest one says a prayer and he says star oh star up in the sky guide my dreams with light that shines help me know just what to do to get word home and also me too and Angels come down and pluck up his soul and take him to, I guess, what's supposed to be heaven. And the animation style changes to like classic cartoons, like 1930s cartoons. And so there's the music and it's super cute and fun, but also really creepy because he's essentially dead for real now. And Greg goes to the Cloud City. It's called Cloud City. (laughs) And they sing a song. They welcome him and Greg saves the city and because he saves the city what's essentially glenda the good witch (laughs) comes down and she's like you get one wish and greg wishes for 
his brother to go home. So Greg would stay in purgatory, but Wirt would go home. Super sad, super sweet. Um, and I think the music in this episode is really good too. Also, I'm I love classic animation. No, I remember because the music actually, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of I I can't remember a particular tune, but it was very evocative of that era. And it so it's like luscious and beautiful, but also kind of uneasy. So hitch a ride into the sky and join so you're like, yeah, he's dead. Mm-hmm. He's dead. But it's touching, but not tear-jerking, though. Because, like, if you think about it, it's, like, a really... It's a great act of sacrifice, but, like, it's done in almost, like... I don't want to say casual, but, like, in a very, like... Are you trying to say that you have to think about why it's so sad? Like, it's something that comes to you later? Yeah, it kind of, it's, like, it's not, like... It's not, like, <clears throat> but, like, you're, like, it kind of lingers. I want to make sure we talk about The Highwayman, another one of my favorite parts. He has a short little song. It's one of my favorites in the whole show. It's maybe 30 seconds. And his animation is so cool and crazy. A highlight of the series. And I want to make sure we talk about The Beast. But talk about The Highwayman. What, why, why is it like that sequence? Um, The animation changes in this sequence. And it becomes much more like they're, like they're showing off. <laughs> And it's really cool to watch. Another, and it's also really creepy. It is, it is, it is. I mean, you know, think about it. Highwaymen are basically they're like robber murderers, and like yeah, he sings about um, robbing people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and he insinuates that he's gonna kill people in this fifteen second song. I'm the highwayman. I make ends meet, just like any man. I work with my hands. You crossed my path. Oh, it's great. <laughs> but the beast. Yes. A really cool villain, but definitely one that... It's something that we've seen before, but it feels very original in this series. It does. It's very elusive because we don't actually see... We don't actually know exactly what the beast is. It's eluded a lot of times. Actually, when we first hear about the beast, we just think about like it's like a, a, a direct physical danger. To these kids because they're in the woods like oh it's like it's the wolf is it kind of like a thing that'll like come and get them kind of thing but then it kind of changes it seems like the beast has more mystical powers it's actually so there's some there's a darker sinister underside it's just beyond threat maybe it's based around the premise of this world and we actually see confront this beast and this beast is not a technically it's a beast but in the sense of like in the way like let's say frankenstein's monster is like not really a monster this beast is a beast but it's like not the beast as we think of like just a primal primal animal or a thing of nature it is in the beast in the sense that it is a force of nature but it also it's like it's i think a better way of saying it, it's like almost it's god um a cruel cruel god i think that's a way but a good way of putting a beast and he's the main villain yeah and there's a big twist, which I will not spoil. Or should I spoil? No, we can't. No, it's, it's so important. No, you can. <laughs> I won't. I won't, though. It's so important. And there's this finality because... Um, so basically there is... I'll just... No, I won't say it. But there is this character at the beginning called the Carpenter. No, yeah, it's called... The, the Woodsman. The Woodsman. And, uh, you know, he... He is cutting wood. In the woods. Why is he doing that? And we get an answer. 
I need y'all, if you're going to watch this, watch it at least three times. Because the house that the woodsman is in is Beatrice's original house. Wait, what? Yeah, so Beatrice, spoiler, she turns her family into Blue Jays. Because <laughs> she's kind of the worst. The woodsman moves into or uses Beatrice's family's house. And another thing that I really like about this show that I think we've said but I want to say it directly, is how complex all these characters are. It's not very often that in children's shows, characters have depth or personality. Absolutely. Seconding on that, can I just say that they portray characters that are not adult and show their sinister side. I think, for example, Beatrice. Like, Beatrice is, I think she's, like, a teenager? Mm -hmm. Y'all know, like, actually, like, teenagers, especially, like, early middle school or late primary school like kids in that age are so cruel they're genuinely evil like they will do the worst things because they're just intelligent enough to know to know how to do these things but not old enough to understand the social consequences of those things i think beatrice is one of those characters that actually embraces that and actually a lot of like shows don't want to portray that that way they're either kids brats little things that we have to take care of and be forgiving or they're adults. Where is the awkward prepubescence characters that we should definitely explore more? And this this narrative just weaves that into it. Okay, let's move on to critiques. The show is obscenely white, overwhelmingly Caucasian. You will not see, actually, the love interest is a black girl, which you wouldn't even notice unless you look at her hands because she's wearing face makeup. She is. Yeah, Wharton has a crush on a black girl. Her name is Sarah. <laughs> and it's Halloween and she's a clown. <laughs> so yeah, you don't realize that she's not white until I I looked at her hands. Yeah, but like, no, I agree. Like this, like it's, this is going to be challenging, but I think they, the creators should definitely take on the challenge of everything that you have is great. Can you make it great by acknowledging racial issues? bringing diversity but not in a tokenistic way into this lovely thing that you have created and i think it's possible yeah i think they don't even have to talk about race i think just make some characters not white and that would be amazing Mm -hmm. and this came out in 2014 far too new for it to be all white people yeah no it's weird and here's the character design on the show is so good it is it is and i'm wondering it's because they were afraid and they could be not. I'm, I'm seeing. I'm. I'm seeing this as a very uninformed person, but that if they did explore it, it would get a lot darker. But then you probably would have done it then. Like, yes, it's in like the antebellum era. It's in the early late nineteen, early two thousands era. People were very racist then. Don't portray like you know. Don't portray a, even if it's based on an alternative reality. Like if it's based in that era, you should probably acknowledge that reality. And yeah, like. Not everyone was white then. I think if they would have talked about race, it would have made me extremely upset. I just want to literally see, like, this is a fantasy show. There's talking animals, but there's no people of color. Yeah. I literally, I just need to see them. Right, And right, I right. think in a show like this, for what it's doing, there's not a need to explore race mm-hmm. dynamics. Right. I don't think there should be like a tokenistic episode like let's talk about race no that's awful and that wouldn't absolutely not work but like 
if you are going to portray just a future reference if they were going to portray uh non-white characters that like they'd be just i don't know substantial and but also organic to the world is what i mean but no i agree i agree it's very white that show is very very white if you are going to introduce this to a person who's never seen over the garden wall and give me an elevator pitch on why should I watch this over all the other things that are on Netflix. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. I will say that it actually, yes, it is nothing you've ever seen before. But some of the things you will see will be eerily nostalgic. And that's why you should see it. Yeah, it is good nostalgia. It is. In the sense of like, oh yeah, I remember those things. Like they're skeletons in the closet. <laughs> As the weather is getting colder... As we were staying indoors, this is definitely one of those shows that is definitely bingeable. I recommend doing either, you know, a really cold, windy night over, like, some hot cocoa and blankets over you. Um, maybe a slice of pumpkin pie. But yeah, that's it for episode three of Comic Sans Podcast. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, this is a goodbye from Josh. And Ayana. Meanwhile, stay gay, stay nerdy, and stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to Comic Sans the Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is created and edited by Ayana White. Jaha Joshua Chang is co-host. And follow us on social media at Comic Sans Podcast on Instagram and Comic Sans Pod on Twitter. Thanks. Bye.